catechism reading today is from Lord's Day 40, which is question and answers 105 through 107. Let's read these responsively together. What is God's will for you in the sixth commandment? I am not to belittle, hate, insult, or kill my neighbor, not by my thoughts, my words, my look, or gesture, and certainly not by actual deeds. And I am not to be party to this in others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with the sword. Question 106. Does this commandment refer only to murder? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder. Envy, hatred, anger, vengefulness. In God's sight, all such are disguised forms of murder. Question 107. Is it enough then that we do not murder our neighbor in any such way? No. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly toward them, to protect them from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his help as we open his doctrines. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you to look upon us in grace as we look away from ourselves into the face of your Son, whom you have appointed our mediator and Savior. As all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in your Son, guide us by your Holy Spirit into the true understanding of the doctrines of Christ. May our meditation upon his truth produce in us the fruit of righteousness to the glory and exaltation of his name, the instruction and building up of this congregation, and the salvation of the lost through our witness. We pray this in the name and favor of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and in dependence on his Holy Spirit. Amen. The Sixth Commandment says that we are not to murder. We're not to commit murder. And that seems simple enough for the vast majority of people on planet Earth. Uh, Not kill somebody who's innocent, doesn't deserve it. But now that we have come to this particular commandment, we're going to really begin to feel the scope of God's law. It touches every part of our lives. And that's been the case with all the commandments we've looked at so far. But we begin to see in this commandment how it touches all of our our faculties in every part of our lives. Not just our outward behaviors. And not just telling us what we can't do. In, uh, In actuality, the law of God reaches down to our inner selves. To the intentions of our hearts. To the thoughts of our minds. And by and large, that's where those outward behaviors that are condemned come from. And so the law speaks again, not only to the externals, what we do with our words and with our deeds, but to the internal, where those things begin to boil up. Uh, We learn that God's law tells us not only not to do something, but it also implies a positive command. That's the principle of interpretation when it comes to the Ten Commandments. Where it 
negatively prohibits something, then something positive is being implied. And where it positively commands something like honor your father and mother, then there is a negative command, a prohibition, which is implied. And again, with this particular commandment, we're going to see that come to light uh, rather clearly. So today, as we look at the sixth commandment, we learn that with Christ's help, we are not only to keep ourselves from the root of murder, which is hatred especially, and we're not only to keep ourselves from the actual act of murder, but we are called also to do in every way the opposite of murder, which is to preserve and protect our neighbors who are fellow image bearers of God. And we're to do this to the best of our abilities and uh, when we can, how we can. We cannot save, protect, uh, preserve everybody. That uh, ends up being a, a Messiah complex, actually. But where doors open for us to help those who are in danger's way and to uh, protect, preserve, and to positively love, then we are to take advantage of those opportunities and so fulfill this particular law. Uh, first, this afternoon, uh, this morning, whatever time it is, we look at what this commandment forbids, both inwardly and outwardly. What does it forbid both inwardly and outwardly. The commandment forbids us from taking someone's life unjustly, including your own life. Including your own life. It also forbids the kinds of sins that lead to someone's life being taken unjustly. The Catechism draws this out by showing that there are degrees by which we commit this particular sin. Actual killing of our neighbor is the extreme end, and it is the worst. That is far worse than having hateful thoughts in your heart towards your neighbor. But that also is disobedience to this command. Um, So we have degrees of disobedience and obedience to this law. It is uh, a wickedness to have envy and hatred in our hearts toward fellow image bearers. Why is that? Why is that? Because that's where murder begins. That's where the act of murder and unjust violence toward a fellow image bearer begins. Hatred, envy, anger, vengefulness are called the root of murder in answer 106 of our catechism. Murder in particular tears at the very fabric of God's creation. It does this in a, in a, in a particularly egregious way. When God created the world, it was bursting with life. That's the original condition of this world. And uh, no, no more so than in humankind itself, who bore God's image and likeness, and therefore was meant to continue propagating this life by creating more image bearers. And this is why it is such a terrible shock as we were reading the, the early chapters of Genesis to see all this life, and then suddenly in, in Genesis chapter 4, to read the story of Cain and Abel. It's meant to jar us and to help us to see the depths to which sin has plunged the human race. First John chapter 3, which was our epistle reading today, shows us that this, this murder did not happen by accident. It wasn't, it wasn't just a, a crime of passion and that it was a, a totally new thing on the earth. Now it was externally... But the root of that murder was already brooding and building up in the heart of Cain. And as the first murderer, Cain becomes a kind of uh, archetype that we are all to avoid. 
First John chapter 3, verse 12 says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And then in verse 15 it says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. It's interesting here that John tells us that Cain, he proved to be of the evil one. He proved to be a son of the devil. No, he was the offspring of the serpent. And he proved that through his murder. Well, on the other end of the spectrum, Jesus says in in the Sermon on the Mount, you shall not just love your neighbor, because even Gentiles do that, you shall love your neighbor as yourself and also your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And what does he say? so that you will be sons of your Father who is in heaven. In other words, it is consistent with the seed of the serpent to murder. But it is consistent with the seed of the woman and those who have been born again through Jesus Christ and are sons of the Father to love. It is inconsistent for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to murder, whether with their actual actions or in their hearts. So we ought to act as sons and daughters of the the Father and be those who promote life and justice in this particular way. In other words, the, the commandment, you shall not murder, is very, very broad in its scope. Um, It extends to the heart. It extends to the invisible intentions. It sometimes uh, it, it, it extends even to those things which sometimes are hidden from you. You don't realize why you're frustrated or angry with someone. Well, it's because hatred has begun to build up in your heart. And God's law extends even to the heart because Christ is king over all of you. Not just your outward actions, but he claims even your very heart. And so it is our duty to this King, our Lord Jesus Christ, to recognize the root of murder in our hearts and to put it to death along with all the ways that it is expressed through various dispositions that we can have, through um, the harboring of of, of bad attitudes and wickedness in our heart towards others who bear God's image. And once we grasp this, once we grasp that the Sixth Commandment is truly this broad and general and speaking about all kinds of wickedness, then we can begin to see how far we fall short of obeying this command. Hatred and envy actually are big deals. Holding a grudge against another person, especially a fellow believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, is a big deal. It is why we are to pursue reconciliation as soon as we can. It's why we're meant to not be estranged from one another before we come to the Lord's table. Envy and hatred are, uh, they are obstacles to the true worship of God, and more obviously, they are obstacles to the true love of our neighbors. And if you allow these sins to grow in your heart, uh, you may never take someone's life, though others certainly do, but you will wreak different kinds of havoc that are murderous in the eyes of God. That's what the commandment forbids, both inwardly and outwardly. Now, what does it command? Now we're talking more positively. What does it require of you? Um, We see more clearly, hopefully, now that murder in all of its forms and at its root is condemned because it is diametrically opposed to the royal law of loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, that's on one end of the spectrum of holiness and righteousness. And on the far other end 
is murder. You cannot do both. They are opposed to each other. That's what we found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17 and 18. Listen to the kinds of words that surround, the kinds of commands that surround this commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You can't hate your brother from your heart. You have to love your brother as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. It also says you shall not take vengeance. Revenge is a kind of murder that takes place in our hearts. You shall not bear a grudge. We do not willfully withhold forgiveness from others. But rather, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you want to be released from guilt and from uh, the sins which you've committed against others? You must do the same. Uh, do you want others to, uh, to uh, uh, allow their love to cover a multitude of your own sins rather than them taking vengeance upon you? Then you must do the same. You must love your neighbor as yourself. While the sixth commandment is stated negatively, you shall not murder. Uh, as we are learning now, there is now this positive command. A murder tears down, but love builds up. Love builds up. And true Christian love comes from a, a heart of love that is constantly striving to put hatred and envy and so forth to death. Um, when, when a heart is now captive to Christ, then what proceeds from that heart are kind and loving words and actions. This is why Jesus commands that we even love our enemies. We have to love our enemies. Does it mean having affectionate feelings toward them? No, no it's a, we're not speaking particularly about that kind of love. Perhaps you will grow in affectionate feelings for your neighbors. But specifically, it means that you are seeking their good. You pray for them. You're patient with them. You are at peace with them insofar as it is up to you. And a lot of times it's not. You, know, you can't make your neighbor be at peace with you. But you can strive for peace with your neighbor. The commandment also holds up justice over vengeance. Makes a distinction between these two things. The Lord recognizes that there are wrongs that must be righted. And so God himself has appointed ways for people to pursue that justice. Uh, this command to love your neighbor as yourself does not mean that we are anarchists and that punishment shouldn't be doled out to offenders. It does not mean that at all. It means rather that there are proper and holy and righteous avenues by which justice can be rendered. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are to recognize that we're not vigilantes. You know, we are skewed in our vision of justice. And so God has actually taken that burden off of our shoulders to make the doling out of justice not a personal thing, but to make it an objective thing so that it can come as close as it can in this present evil age to true justice. The church, as an institution, calls sinners to repentance. And it uses avenues like church discipline and, if necessary, excommunication to do that. But the sword of justice has been given to the civil government not to the church. We do not put sinners to death. Uh, we don't put them behind bars as the church. That is a job that God himself has instituted for the civil government to do. Imperfectly, though they do it, they've been entrusted to it and, are, and will be held accountable to do their jobs well. 
And so it is in obedience to the sixth commandment that we leave vengeance to the Lord. God says, vengeance is mine and I will repay. Every miscarriage of justice that has ever happened in this world will be righted by the Lord of hosts. And so we are to pursue justice through the avenues that he has provided. When we love our neighbors in these ways, what results from this is a more orderly world, a more peaceful world. Um, And also it ends up opening doors to unbelievers when they see that we are not vengeful people, but we are eager to forgive, eager to be at peace. It opens doors among unbelievers. So there are certainly strict prohibitions in this commandment. Uh, We we must strive with the Spirit's help to root sin, uh, the sin of hatred and envy and, and vengeance out of our hearts. But also with the same Spirit's help, we are to more positively look out for, protect, and preserve the the lives of our fellow image bearers. Lastly, what does this commandment reveal about Jesus? It reveals some profound things. As we touch on this topic, uh, we we begin to touch on on the realm of not just religion, but politics, as we've already heard. there's There's all kinds of things that we could, all kinds of directions we could go in with the sixth commandment. I want us to end our reflections this morning thinking about what it reveals about Christ himself. Because we believe that Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law and that he alone has perfectly obeyed all the commandments of God's law. He alone. But there's something unique about his obedience to this command. There's something unique here. As we've been talking about uh, death, this unjust form of death, Murder tears at the fabric of God's good creation. It is, it's opposed to the life that is in God and the life which he created here on this planet. And so Jesus, fulfilling this law, is doing something profound. Our Lord Jesus is called the author of life in Acts chapter 3, verse 15. He has divine life within himself. He is the great promoter of life, the preserver of human life. He is, according to his divine nature, the creator of human life. And when we recognize the broad scope of this commandment, we don't see just how badly we fall short, but we also see how magnificent Christ's obedience to this commandment truly is. Think about the nature of his earthly ministry. Now, he's doing more... Uh, than what I'm about to say in his earthly ministry, but he is at least fulfilling the sixth commandment when he heals. He is at least fulfilling the sixth commandment by preserving people and and, uh, showing them the way of life and loving them, even though they are his enemies, when he feeds the multitudes, when he shows kindness to the poor, when he touches the leper. He kept spiritual wolves away from his people. And that is also obedience to this commandment. He exercised peacemaking and mercy and gentleness uh, wherever that was needed. Was he angry? Of course he was angry. He was angry against wolves. He protected those who were entrusted to his care. But in his anger, he did not sin. Rather, he upheld life. And he alone, he alone and uniquely and far and above any uh, possibility that we could ever fulfill. He has loved his enemies. He's loved you, hasn't he? 
He's loved you, and you, apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, would remain an enemy of God. But Christ Jesus has laid down his life while we were still sinners, and while we were his enemies. That's the only way. It is only through his death that we become his friends and his co-heirs. The benefits of his death and resurrection for you are that all your hatred is forgiven for his sake. He sees it, he exposes it, and he forgives it because his blood cleanses us of even the most egregious of sins. The spotless record of Jesus is yours by faith. You're righteous now. You are those who truly do preserve life. That's a legal declaration that has been placed upon you because Christ is the one who has done it. In God's sight, you're no longer murderers. You are no longer murderers for the sake of Christ. That hatred does not condemn you anymore, but you are being renewed also by his Holy Spirit. And so day to day, you must put these sins to death. Loved ones in Christ, search your heart and where you find hatred, envy, malice, rage, the desire for revenge. Put those things to death with Christ's help. And put on the kindness of the Lord by doing good to everyone by upholding life, by seeking peace insofar as it is up to you, by seeking justice by God's appointed ways. And by doing these things, you will truly love not just your neighbors, but even your enemies. Amen. Gracious and merciful Father, we give you thanks for having established your covenant with believers and their children. For as you have told us, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. This promise you have not only signified and sealed by holy baptism, but daily proved by perfecting your praise through the mouths of children and so putting to shame the wise and understanding of this world. Continue to establish your saints in this faith throughout their lives. So give us the grace to inwardly digest the food you have given us and to instruct our children in your knowledge and fear until they have reached complete maturity and we with them. All of this we ask in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit are one God, forever blessed. Amen.